Well, again, you have notes if you want to follow along a little bit with some of the, the texts and quotes that I'm using in the sermon. Uh, I wanted to give you those so you could look those up later. We're, we're in a series based on the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. A lot of you have been reading along and involved in Sunday school. The, 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 the idea is based on, on comments by a writer named Dallas Willard. And he said that hurry is the, the enemy of the spiritual life. If you want to grow closer to Jesus, you've got to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You've got to attack it. You've got to go after it. See, God wants to form your spirit. And if you're hurrying all the time, God doesn't have any room. He doesn't have any time to form your spirit. You've got to learn to slow down and give space for your spiritual life. And so, so what the book does and what we've been doing in our sermons is we've then started to talk about how do we start to eliminate hurry from our lives so that there's room for Jesus. And we talked about silence and solitude. Last week we talked about Sabbath. And this week we're talking about simplicity. Living simply in our lives. And, and a lot of that has to do with our, our possessions and our wealth. And so the idea of this topic is pretty countercultural, right? I mean, I mean, we're in a culture that seems to want more, bigger, and better everything. Like, just go, go, go. Interestingly enough... If you read uh, a lot of uh, secular literature, you go to, uh, uh, was there Barnes & Noble? No, yeah, there's Barnes & Noble, there's not Borders. I never forget, remember. Um, but if you, if you go look at books, you can find books on essentialism. You can find books about people that are living simply, simple lives off the grid in tiny houses. I don't know how they do that. I could never do a tiny house. I have four kids, so that would be really hard. Really popular book. Did anybody read The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by a lady named Marie Kondo, a Japanese author, about sort of getting organized, getting rid of a lot of stuff? So even a lot of non-Christians are, are seeing how crazy the world is about some of this and saying, hey, we need to pull back. And I think as Christians, we should be even more thoughtful about that. There, um, Richard Foster, who, who's done a lot to, to write about the spiritual disciplines in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, puts it this way. The psychosis permeates even our mythology. The modern hero is the poor boy who purposefully becomes rich rather than the rich boy who voluntarily becomes poor. Covetousness, we call ambition. Hoarding, we call prudence. Greed, we call industry. So he's saying, like, even our stories in the movies, they're all about people getting wealthy. We don't have a lot of movies about people intentionally getting poor, intentionally being generous. Have you felt the pull of these things? Toward more money, a nicer car, a splashier vacation, a new home, a more prestigious job, and finer clothes? See, we have marketers in this world, and marketers are great at making you feeling unsatisfied, right? They're really great at saying, look how old your car is. Wouldn't you want a new car? Wouldn't you feel better if you had a new this? I mean, we have a world that tries to tell us that we're poor so that we get more and we go after more. Our economy is built on, we got to get more, we got to get more. Yet if we actually compare ourselves to the world, we don't just have more, and we, we have a lot of stress with it. John Mark Comer, in his book, points out that there was a 2012 report of CNN that said this, that if you make more than $25,000 a year, $25,000 a year, you are in the top 10% of earners in the world. $25,000. 
Top 10% of earners in the world. If you make more than $34,000, this is as of 2012, you're in the top 1% of earners in the world. Okay, you make more than $34,000, you are in the 1% wealthiest earning people in the world. See, we don't, we don't think about that. We don't see ourselves like that. But compared to the world, that's where we are. Many of us have more stuff than we know what to do with. Have you ever gone through your house and you find something and you're like, I forgot I had that. We have so much stuff we forgot what we have. We always have. How many of you have these places in your house? I call them possession purgatory, where things go to just remain for a long period of time. You have a junk drawer. You have a closet. You have a garage. You can't get a car in because your stuff's in the way. Right? We, we have more stuff than we can even remember that we have. You're one of the biggest industries in the country right now? Storage units. People don't even have enough room in their house. They got to go rent other space. They got to rent somebody else's garage, somebody else's closets. But this obsession that we have in our culture with bigger, better, more, the idolization of the wealthy and the luxurious just does not line up with the Bible. It just doesn't. Jesus said you can serve either God or money. You can't have two masters. He said it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of the needle than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. This obsession with wealth and with stuff does not line up with the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me be clear that that the Bible is not totally against wealth and possessions. I do not think as Christians we have to take vows of poverty. Let me give you a couple of biblical examples. The end of Psalm 62, 10 says, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. In other words, riches can increase. Just don't let your heart be set on them. Okay, don't let your heart be dragged by them. Or I want to read a little passage from Luke 8. I don't know if you have you ever thought about how does Jesus fund his ministry? Okay, there's Jesus. There's 12 disciples. A lot of times there's an even larger group. They wander around for three years without jobs. You ever think about this? Well, Luke tells us. Luke 8, it says, Soon after he went on through, through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, Mary called Magdalene, with whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. The ministry of Jesus got around, they got to eat, because they had sugar mamas. Everybody see that? Okay? So, so Jesus isn't against all wealth. It looks like Mary and Martha and Lazarus had a pretty big house. They could house all these people when they came to Jerusalem. Martha's feeding all these people. No, it's not totally against wealth. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 12. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So what Jesus understood was that there's a problem with possessions and it's covetousness. It's not actually the possessions themselves. In fact, sometimes it's good to spend. Sometimes it's worse. But Jesus told this great story where this father has two sons and the one son uh, gets his inheritance and he goes to another country and he blows it on really reckless living. And then he finally comes back to his senses and he comes back to his dad. And what does his dad do? 
throws a party. He kills the fatted calf, invites everybody over. In fact, the elder brother is offended by all the spending of the killing of the fatted calf. The dancing, the partying. But the father celebrates. Sometimes you got to celebrate. Sometimes you got to kill the fatted calf. I remember my wife told me one day, we had, had, we had one child at the time, and she said, you got to meet me for dinner tonight after work. I said, okay, we'll go out to dinner. And uh, I don't remember where we went. Longhorn? So we went to Longhorn. And at dinner, she told me she was pregnant, and we are going to have our second child. And I said, I am getting the biggest steak they have. <laughs> Sometimes you got to kill the fatted calf. Sometimes you got to get the biggest steak. Okay, there's, there, the, God is a God of abundance. Light, he wants you to have life to the fullest. Sometimes you celebrate, you spend, you splurge. That's okay. Okay, sometimes you got to kill the fatted calf. Sometimes you got to get the biggest steak. Money isn't everything, but it's also not nothing, right? I mean, it, 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 possessions are okay, but it can also lead to hoarding and, and greed. It's just money, but it's also important to take care of your family. So, so here's the question. Where's the line? Where is the line? Like, where is that line between I'm being greedy and I'm being prudent? Okay, I'm enjoying life or I'm being, I'm, I need to save so I can be generous. I mean, when we, when we look at the Bible's uh, uh, look at this, I, I kind of came up with four questions I think are good to ask yourself related to your, your wealth and your possessions. And I gave them to you in the paper, but here, here they are. <clears throat> Question one. What are your motives around your money and possession? Why do you want things? Why are you saving up? Why are you doing these things? Okay, a lot of what we do with money and our possessions are related to our feelings. Either it's fear, or it's just needing to escape, or it has to do with our childhood, right? Maybe you, maybe you grew up with wealth, you always had it, and you feel like you're going to be insecure if you don't have it. Or you never had it, and now you do everything you can to get it. So often about what other people think. Often we, a lot, often we purchase stuff, we think about our possession, really based on what other people are going to think, not what we want or what we actually need. So, it has, so, so your why is important when it comes to your wealth and your possessions. Question number two, how did you get it? How did you get what you have? That one I don't have to spend a lot of time on. It should make sense to you. The Bible has a lot to say about justice and righteousness. Okay, the Bible has a lot of problems if you got your stuff by stealing it. If you got your wealth at everybody else's expense. If you were dishonest along the way, that's problematic. Question number three, what are you doing with what you have? If you're hoarding... Or just indulging your every whim, that's probably a problem. Listen to, this, listen to this passage from 1 Timothy 6. This is such good advice from Paul. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So Paul says, be, be careful with your wealth and with your possessions. 
Because you end up trusting yourself instead of trusting God. Be, be rich in good works, he says. Question number four. What is what you have doing to you? Okay, Jesus said this. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I've, I've talked about this before. But we often read that to say, well, where, where my heart is, that's where I'm going to spend my money. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, where your treasure is, your heart goes also. Okay, so if I spend over here, guess where my heart's going to go? And if I buy that, guess where my heart's going to go? Okay, you buy a new car, all of a sudden you love your new car. You're driving your new car all the time. Eventually, it's not a new car anymore. Okay, and you're on to the next thing with your heart. See, see this, this is the problem. Our possessions, our wealth, often guides our hearts. And because Jesus... Uh, cares about our heart, he, he often talks about money and possessions. About a quarter of the teachings of Jesus relate to money and possessions. About a quarter. Okay, can you imagine if a quarter of my sermons were about wealth and possessions? We'd be at another church. Okay? But that, Jesus talked about it a lot. Why? Not because wealth and possessions are necessarily bad, but because they influence your heart so much. They lead to stress. Okay? A lot of times, our possessions possess us. You get a bigger house, guess what you have to do? You got to clean that bigger house. You get a bigger lawn, you're going to be on a lawnmower longer. Right? I'm giving time. uh, I'm giving time. I'm giving possessions. I'm giving stress. I'm giving mind space to these things that I have. And they take away from what God would lead me to do. And the biggest part... The biggest challenge to our heart, you can see in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. So the problem, the, the, the biggest problem is with the things that I possess the things that I earn, is I start to think that I did it. That I'm the source of my power. And instead of saying, hey, God gave me these opportunities. Hey, God gave me these gifts. Hey, these are ultimately God's because I'm ultimately God's. We begin to trust in our own ability instead of trusting God. So I, I think these are four good questions to think about with your money and your possessions. But, but there's one other way. To approach this issue and make sure you're in line with God's will on this idea. And that is what's called the spiritual discipline of simplicity. Sometimes it's called frugality. Sometimes in more secular terms it's called minimalism. But the idea is that throughout Christian history, followers of Jesus have chosen to live simple lives. So that they can be more generous. So that they can be more free to follow God's will. Jesus said to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What are all those things in that passage? Food. Uh, Clothing. All those needs. Jesus said seek his kingdom first. And so what Christians throughout history have tried to do is I'm going to take away some of those other things that I seek so that I seek Jesus first. Here's how Dallas Willard talks about simplicity. We abstain from using money or goods at our disposal in ways that merely gratify our desires or our hunger for status, glamour, or luxury. In other words, I intentionally make decisions to not spend 
and not hoard on stuff just because of status, what everybody will think, or glamour, or luxury. I discipline myself as a disciple. Shouldn't it make sense to everybody, if you're called a disciple, that it might involve some discipline? It's the same word, everybody. I discipline myself to have less. Not taking a vow of poverty. You pay your bills. You, if God gives you godly ambition to build a business, you go for it. But I choose to live simply. Maybe that's having a smaller house, less stuff, an older car, but, but, but pursuing simplicity so I have the freedom to be more generous, so that I have less stress and anxiety. So if God calls me to do something big, I'm not so tied down that I can't pick up and go do what God calls me to do. As you declutter your possessions and your stuff, you declutter your mind to be able to think differently. You're free to enjoy life and free to respond to God's will. Furthermore, all that psychological stuff that we bring to money in our possessions, like our history, like what our parents say, like how we care about what everybody else... If I live simply, it's an opportunity for me to deal with those things in my heart. To simplify and actually expose and deal with some of these lasting issues that I have within me. I don't have to get my self-worth from there. So I can start to get my self-worth truly from Christ and seek his kingdom first because I simplify in all these other areas. So then the, the big question is, how do we get some simplicity in our lives and in our world today? Well, I've given you kind of a list here. Let me just run down it. First of all, clear some things out. Get rid of some stuff. We all need to do it. Give stuff away. Give stuff away to neighbors, to friends, Salvation Army. There's a rummage sale coming up. It's a great time. Okay. Um, Give stuff away. Clear out those places of possession purgatory in your house. You know that closet you don't want to open? You don't know what's going to fall out? Like, clear it out. In the back of your head, that's bothering you. Get rid of it. Clear out the junk drawer. You don't need the junk drawer. Okay. By putting it in there, you're calling it junk. Just get rid of it. Okay? Make it a game. Make it a game. How few of items of clothing can you wear this month? Okay? How long can you keep this old car running? Right? Make it a game. A, 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 play a game with yourself. How, how, how few times can I eat out? How much can I give away in the next three months? And let me just say this. I, I, I've, I've been with a lot of people at, at, toward the end of their lives as they're thinking about their stuff and their possessions and, and one of the things I hear people talk about is, I, I want my, my daughter to have this, and my granddaughter to have this. And, and, and I always think, why don't you just give it to them? Right? Like, I watch people, I've watched people pass, and they wanted something to go to somebody, but they never really told them, and they never got to tell them. Give it to them while you can tell them why you wanted it, them to have it, why it's important to them. Why, why do you have to keep it? If you want them to have it, give it to them. So, so simplicity starts getting rid of some stuff. But, it, but number two, it start, it, it, you got to buy things differently. And he, here's, a, here's a few thoughts on buying things differently. Always consider why you want something. Remember, motives are important. Why do I want this? Okay, question. Do I really need it? Or is it just something I want? Make sure you're buying for usefulness and not for status. Don't buy to impress anybody else. Okay, don't buy anything to impress anybody else. Don't care what people think. Buy it because it's useful or because it brings you joy. Don't buy it for other people. 
Avoid buying for addiction. Okay, anytime you say, I have to have that, be careful. Okay, anytime, anytime it sounds like an addiction, okay, anytime it sounds like somebody who's addicted to drugs would say it like that, you probably should wait a little bit. Okay, don't buy because you have to have it. Always be able to look at your motives. Buy things slowly. Marketers, if you pay attention, they're really crafty. What do they get you to do? Make a decision right now. This sale is today only. And I'm going to force you to make a decision right now on it. Listen, if it's worth buying, it's probably worth missing the sale. Right? If it's worth buying, it's worth waiting a week to make sure. Like, buy slowly. Make slow decisions. Okay, marketers are trying to trick you into buying quickly. Buy slowly. Okay, live within your means and avoid debt. A lot, we, this is a real problem in our culture. There are a lot of Christians that are not really going to be able to follow God's will in the coming generations because they're too far in debt to, to make quick decisions. Okay, I know people that didn't go to seminary because they got too much debt. What a shame to have not lived within your means and then when God calls you to something, you, you're, too, you're, you're too far in debt to make that decision. Be careful with debt. Purchase things that do not oppress others. Okay, be wise in your purchase. Okay, there's a lot of products out there that come from slave labor. that come from really difficult places. If you're going to spend money on something, spend money on stuff that, that comes from just sources. Okay, part three. You got, you got to clear some stuff out. Buy things differently. Number three, find joy in the things that you keep. Okay, if you're going to keep it, enjoy it. Okay? If you can't find it, you can't enjoy it. So part of it is, organize your stuff in such a way that you see it and that you can find it and you can enjoy it. If you cannot find it, you cannot enjoy it. If you cannot find it, why do you have it? Okay? Enjoy simple pleasures that are free. There's a lot of stuff in this world. Parks, beaches, libraries, free concerts, fall festivals at church. There's all kinds of stuff you don't got to pay for. Find joy in some of that free stuff. And when you do kill the fatted calf, okay, when you do get the biggest steak, when you do enjoy something in life, don't feel guilty about it. Like when you make a decision to enjoy the abundance that God has given you, enjoy it. Don't feel guilty. Now, part four. Think about simplicity, not just in wealth and possessions, but in other areas of your life. What would it look like if you simplified your schedule? A lot of us have way too complex a week. A day. Simplify it. Have margins. Okay? Create times in your calendar where you don't have stuff in your calendar. Remember, anytime you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. That goes with your possessions. That goes with your money. That goes with your time. Anytime you say yes to a commitment, you're going to say no to other things that you could be doing with that time. So be careful. Simplify your routine. Simplify your faith. Simplify your views on things. Okay, everybody's, everybody's really upset about all kinds of stuff in our world today. Maybe just calm down a little bit and simplify. Maybe you need to turn off the news for a little while. Simplify the inputs that are coming in. Like, start to simplify beyond your wealth and possessions. So, so here's, here's, here's my challenge for you. Try the spiritual discipline of simplicity in your life. Instead of trying to have more and more and better and bigger, create a life where you can have more God more gratitude, and more generosity.